Welcome to the show, and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, as we explore everything from Space Kraken to Giant Sandworms. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code IsaacArthur. This video is sponsored by CuriosityStream. Get access to my streaming video service, Nebula, when you sign up for CuriosityStream using the link in the description. Many suggest a future that sees our descendants as some synthesis of natural and engineered, organic and machine, but what does this future look like? So welcome to another Sci-Fi Sunday here on SFIA, and our topic for today is Synthetic Life, and we'll begin by asking what we mean by synthetic and what we mean by life, as neither is entirely clear-cut. Now a point I have to make in regard to artificial intelligence and cyborgs is that just about the most artificial thing on this planet is a human already. Most of us have some artificial components, be it external things like clothing and glasses or minor things like tooth fillings or full-on prosthetic limbs or organs. Moreover though, our actual minds are very artificial, very based on decades of learning surrounded by artificial customs and objects, not like a mostly instinctual animal. Humans are not terribly natural creatures these days, and indeed the only real rivals for that are the various pets, livestock, and cereal crops we've been selectively breeding for thousands of years. So just the notion of artificial intelligence being computer brains doesn't really feel like a very useful or accurate definition. This is partially true for synthetic life as well, that it's basically just robots, cyborgs, or androids. Synthetic life though might be a bit easier because it does have a fairly clear core meaning. While synthetic, or synthesis, in terms of products often is referring to something artificial like polyester clothes, the basic etymology of the word from Greek and Latin is essentially to put things together, into something new, often with the implication of the new thing being more or better than the sum of its parts. Though its early usage in English in the 1600s was often more the context of deductive reasoning, your thesis combining a number of facts and arguments as it were, and in that context we will be using synthetic today, in regard to life, as means some merger of otherwise distinct natural or artificial life into a new thing. Note this can include merging natural to natural, or two types of artificial together, not just a merger of natural and artificial, with each other. And of course the next question is what do we mean by life? And we're not interested today in whether or not a virus is alive or not compared to a bacteria or fungi or dog, or at what level an AI might qualify as alive. Rather for today we mean in the context of not just discussing types of life forms, but as we often use it on the show in episodes like Life as a Space Colonist, or Life as a Digital Being, or Life as a Brain in a Jar, to ask not just what such a life form is, but what its life might be like, or what our life might be like by becoming one. And a critical notion of synthetic life is that it is made by merging two or more things together. Indeed, one might argue that the children and grandchildren of a synthetic life form are not themselves synthetic anymore, same as a distant descendant of an immigrant to some land usually is no longer viewed as an immigrant themselves. A person with a tooth filling would be a very simple example of a synthetic life form, to the point of being trivial, but is a good illustration of how a synthesis might not really be creating something new in the context of a species or culture or hereditary trait, 
I think we could also say that beyond being useful to illustrate that point, replacement prosthetics, be they simple metal or ceramic tooth replacement, or something more electronic like a pacemaker or artificial eye, or even some cloned replacement organ, really are not what we mean by that. For that same reason, modifications to a person via technology to pre-existing traits, gender being the obvious one, only have varying degrees of sophistication and nature, like giving someone reproductive organs they were not born with, which in a couple more decades might include functioning wombs of a mechanical or genetically engineered and lab-grown variety. Nothing new is being made here, whereas altering a person to be a man with a womb, or to be a fertile hermaphrodite, presumably would be as would giving them wings. You have made something new. And again we can see the gray area there because genetically engineered wings someone was born with, one tank grown and grafted on as an adult, and ones done as cybernetic alterations would all seem synthetic life alterations giving someone wings, of a similar but also wildly different nature. And their difference is as wide as those integrated flying options we just mentioned and the mechanical jetpack and wings some could strap on for an afternoon. All of these folks might be common adaptations to the lower gravity planets or artificial space habitats we build, and might overlap as being the same core synthesis of a human with the ability to fly. In such an environment we might see an entirely synthetic ecosystem too, one created to that environment. This is what we often call bioforming, as the opposite of tailforming, where you adapt an organism to a ward rather than turn that ward into an earth-like place for earth organisms. In practice, we expect any given ward would be a mixture or synthesis of bioforming and tailforming options, and not simply an artificial one created by making such a ward or habitat to resemble earth's physical conditions of gravity and temperature and lighting, but in the case of an aerial ward, down to a culture that prefers birds as pets, and then makes cats and dogs with wings by those same diverse methods by which they gave wings to people. Flying livestock might follow, complete with flying pigs, and you might see huge ecological adaptations to non-animal organisms as well. Redwood trees are able to achieve their immense height by being capable of pulling moisture from fog, not just wet dirt, and a lower gravity avian habitat might see lots of plants adapted to that ultra-tall type able to pull moisture principally from the air. Indeed you might see fairly artificial life, in the sense of not being something we would expect to evolve, where we saw engineered floating clouds of algae borne aloft by capture of hydrogen or helium becoming an equivalent to seaweed for the sky, potentially complete with entire food chains in and around those floating islands of algae. Needless to say, life for someone in that environment is a very different thing, even if they themselves are merely a migrant with cyborg wings or jetpack, not some 20th generation descendant with huge wings since birth. We have very good reason to assume such synthetic environments in their myriad varieties will be pretty common in humanity's future, or our descendants anyway, biological or by artifice, and I think it is right to deem both those ecosystems and the societies living on them as synthetic. On the other hand, again, I would not think simply having a prosthetic hand or other augmentation or prosthesis would make someone into a synthetic life form. I'm always way behind on new video games but I do play some, and there's an excellent video game trilogy called Mass Effect that I sometimes joke is my favorite game series except for the last 20 minutes. This is going to get spoilery in a moment and for those who've played it, 
Many are probably nodding their heads or rolling their eyes, as the ending was a fairly infamous example of stories seeming to trip the finish line, often the point of enraging their audience. Game of Thrones Season 8, or the last episode of Battlestar Galactica, or Lost, would be some other examples of where the ending was not just a letdown to many fans, but one they often pretend did not get written. Obviously your mileage may vary on any of those, and if you love them that's great, I'm glad someone did, and we all have stories we like that got panned critically or by the majority. Now from a fictional standpoint the weakenings were hard to avoid, In those cases we had big, sinister mysteries with reveals, and that sort of thing often results in villain decay, like we see with the Borg in Star Trek, as the mystery goes away and the good guys avoid being obliterated episode after episode, implying the villain ain't too impressive after all. However, the other end of that is that you have to come up with a backstory and reasoning for why the villains do what they do, and that which is dark and mysterious often mutates into stupid, crazy, and illogical. This often results in the writers trying to roll a franchise saving throw with a major plot change or trying to wrap it all up in a bow for the ending, and this often fails spectacularly. Now it is sci-fi Sunday so digressions onto science fiction are fair game, not that it ever stops me from going off on rabbit trails anyway, but a critical bit of our storyline for Mass Effect, spoilers coming, is that the protagonist, Commander Shepard, is pretty heavily cybernetic especially after literally dying and getting rebuilt in Game 2, and there's lots of alien races with lots of cybernetics, but only one machine race, the Geth, and frequently the minions of the storyline's mysterious big bads, the Reapers. It becomes increasingly clear the Reapers, like their minions, are some horrible mismatch of organic and artificial into some terrifying synthesis more evil than either could ever be on its own. The ending for Mass Effect though basically has our protagonist being confronted by a spokesperson or controller for the Reapers, claiming arguably benevolent reasons and leaving our hero three options, the red, green, and blue options as they often get called in memes on it, all of which seem to suck in some fashion. But a critical component to the idea was that the hero and the big bads were both incredibly synthetic organisms at this point and that Shepard and many others trying to fight the Reapers had adopted a lot of their technology and techniques, fighting fire with fire, means justifying ends, becoming that which they most hated, and so on. Love it or hate it, one of the endings, often considered the nominal good one, is where the hero seizes control of everything to turn everybody into a synthetic life form, and it keys in on the notion that so many folks will die if Shepard chooses the option to eradicate all synthetic life instead, because so many of them are all stuck full of cybernetic augmentation. Now that's a great point in some ways, and I think we are moving to a civilization full of such cybernetics, but I don't think this is synonymous with synthetic life any more than having tooth fillings, glasses, prosthetic arms, or cloned organs is. None of them is creating some new synthesis, not in any profound or significant way. Now that is a debatable point, because someone mixing some new flavors together for a drink, or spices and food and recipe or combining some classical music with some new style, like hip-hop or heavy metal, is exactly what we mean by synthesis. And so too, mixing a bird with a human or mixing it with a horse to make a pegasus, or a human with a horse to make a centaur, is also exactly what we mean by synthetic life. Two or more things have been blended to make something new. I'm a little hesitant to say something needs to be significant to be properly synthetic because first, 
defining significant is pretty hard and often subjective, and second, a half-man half-horse growing up in a culture that views him as a dirty freak would seem more significant than one in which that was uncommon to the point of uniqueness but still irrelevant, like it might be in one where people change shape and form as casually as we change clothes, so they just didn't care. Or they cared, but in the way we do, if someone walked in wearing something that was just a hideous offense against fashion and good taste. We're not really viewing that person as heroic for enduring the disgust of their peers, or an unappreciated visionary. What would be some examples of synthetic life then, that would be likely? Well, some are simple fusions of the natural, like our wings example, or the classic mermaid one, of having gills or fins or so on, though this is definitely on the hybridization path. Additional limbs beyond four, like the centaur has, two arms and four legs, something neither horse or human has, would seem a touch different, and it is not hard to imagine folks going for four arms, or for four forearms, springing from two upper arms and shoulders. It is a touch grotesque, but we can recognize that as probably the sort of thing that folks only find grotesque during early exposure or on specific portrayal. In other words, if I'm writing a story about a monstrous synthesis of man and machine or man and animal, going for a disgusting portrayal of a human with a spider leg chassis is probably going to work better than a human with cat or dog-like fur because we like them and we mostly don't like spiders. But portrayal matters even then, you can make a visually hideous looking werewolf or cat person. There are some types of distaste that are more wired into our brains, and which I would expect us to resist or exile even when useful compared to something like our furry human variation, which honestly is entirely pointless nowadays. We have clothes for staying warm and protecting our skin, and they work better and offer more variety of both appearance and utility than fur does. Alternatively, four or eight legs, while making pants and shoes more expensive, has a lot of useful aspects. One might argue walking around with a pair of pants or belt or cape made of smart matter or utility matter and able to rapidly turn themselves into additional hands or legs or wings, AI controlled or mentally controlled by the wearer, or both, would be much more handy though than those extra legs. Many Chimera options might be useful but not emerge, because of technological alternatives like shape changing, utility matter, or other device pathways that do it better, like clothing as opposed to fur, or even central heating and cooling, or an entire suite of machines that hang around you and respond to your commands, possibly even your subconscious mental commands. And this is one key option for synthetic life, which is the merger of man and machine in mind. Instead of carrying a device that can act as a calculator, recorder, or camera, the software for this is connected into you. Your AI butler is not some android walking around your house, but more of a virtual assistant and possibly so wired into you that it was basically like a limb or an extra lobe of your brain, gotten to the point of essentially merged into you so that we have a synthetic personality. It's still you, same as the new you with robot horse legs would be, but something new is there too. Or maybe you and it really are gone or subordinate now, no more the relevant individual than your heart and lungs or an individual hemisphere of the brain is, and a new personality is there. In that context, a hive mind like the Borg from Star Trek would be a synthetic life form, but even something more natural, like the evolved telepathic hive minds we see in a lot of 20th century sci-fi, would count with no machines involved. And so too, such a mind might be a new life form and personality 
but the constituent minds might remain unique and genuine personalities themselves. As we looked at way back in our Hive Minds episode, a Hive Mind is a more extreme example of a networked intelligence or entity, which can include hordes and packs, not just hives, or any number of human groups, including our families and social circles, which are debatably in possession of a true personality in their own right, even though the group mind, so to speak, is much dumber than its individual components, people, who are often simultaneously part of several such groupings and may individually enter or exit them. Indeed such blended personalities or entities are almost the ideal example of what a synthetic life form would be, and more so in a civilization that might have some actual mind-to-mind or mind-to-machine-to-mind connections. But even in its current form, one can make a good case that families, businesses, and groups like villages or churches or clubs, or even whole countries, are synthetic life forms, if not necessarily greater than the sum of their parts, possessed of a unique flavor and qualities that none of the individuals themselves possess. What else might be a synthetic life form? Well, we could extend that hive mind to include the operating intelligence of a space habitat, like the Citadel from Mass Effect, or the Overseer of some Generation Arc ship, or even a blend of many smaller hive minds with their own specializations. We could also see it in human animal hybrids, and of course, human machine ones, and combinations of machine, animal, and human in many different ways and combinations and permutations, many of which might be welcome or utterly alien. Indeed we might see alien synthetic life, or human-alien hybrids, even where they can't share DNA because the aliens don't have any. Indeed we might see things like mNA as a sort of machine code equivalent to DNA or RNA that floated around producing the machinery or hybrid elements a person needed that their DNA, inherited or programmed, could not create. This is not very different than things like mitochondria, the power plants of our own biology but with their own DNA separate from humans. However, while I think all those examples would certainly count, and indeed I'm pretty certain we will see all of the above in the future by some version or another, I think prediction of which people might go for relies on that second meaning of synthetic life I mentioned, life as a synthetic being. Because to go any given route requires a motivation. We can imagine folks want to fly, but to actually build low gravity and flight focused habitats would seem to either require that they come at a discount compared to other worlds, such as lots of low gravity moons, or that they are hard to simulate. We might ask why grow wings where you can clip on a booster pack or just have your small clothes made of billions of interlocking machines seamlessly sprout a pair of wings for you and fly them, but we might also ask why not just plug into a virtual landscape where you can have those wings and need not worry about physical impracticalities, like needing hollow bones or super strong muscles in order to fly, or wings bigger than a house for a body the size of a human. Virtual reality is one of those paths, especially in conjunction with good mind-machine interfaces, that both provides an impediment to synthetic life developing and gives it the best riverbed to flow down, and offers some feedback scenarios too. All those virtual environments filled with virtual critters, and people, might themselves spawn up new synthesis. In simplest form this could be the virtual bartender at the virtual pub various people visit in a given virtual reality. In another aspect though, this might be the blended personality of one computer intelligence who plays a hundred virtual characters in that virtual setting, including the bartender, with another meta-bartender template that runs a thousand different such folks across a wide variety of inns, taverns, and pubs, 
scattered to a thousand different and unrelated virtual realities. One could imagine the same thing occurring for various other roles too, imagine the personalities simultaneously playing knightly heroes across a million virtual fantasies. It is essentially inevitable someone would tell and prove to that critter it was in a virtual universe, even assuming it didn't already know that or deduce it, and one could imagine it wanting to be acting in the real world too, wanting to rescue real people, or kill off all the invaders from the nominal real world whose fantasies seem to create so many villains it needs to defend people from. So too you would have the villains, the kings, and the real world assets, the very good administrator AI repurposed into VR or vice versa. You would also have the folks who were doing this themselves, having their mind expanded, cloned, uploaded, segmented, or whichever, to allow them to simultaneously play a hundred different personas, possibly entirely hidden from each other, or possibly integrated into some hive mind of your own copied minds. This though is the key thing about synthetic life, whether it is minds programmed on a computer, emulating a human mind, a cyborg, an uplifted animal, a human-machine hybrid, or animal-machine hybrid or ten trillion other configurations and variations, synthetic life as being more than the sum of its original parts, or containing a unique thing none of them had, represents variety. Some might wonder how natural that is, but one might also look at the original amoeba, divided a trillion trillion times over again, and descended into a host of other organisms, microbe to mankind, and ask if a trillion trillion synthesis of humanity with other things, or itself, is really any different than that. One thing seems very likely, whether we are discussing synthesis in physical terms or psychological, machine or movement, inspired or inherited, the future is likely to show us near-endless possible synthetic samples of civilization and the citizens in them. I think the topic of cyborgs and synthetic life has been science fiction for so long that many folks haven't noticed that they've been quietly becoming a reality, and if you're curious for a progress update, there's a great series hosted by neuroscientist Dr. Jack Lewis, Secrets of the Brain, over on CuriosityStream, and it's definitely binge-worthy. In between writing the episode and doing the video I also wrote a script called Is a Technological Singularity Inevitable, due out in late April, and something it reminded me of in terms of today's topic is that a lot of synthetic life and transhuman scenarios would involve people who were pretty superhuman or inhuman yet still identified as human or felt a kinship to us, or even revulsion to us as a subhuman leftover. I thought that deserved a few minutes of discussion, so we will be having an extended edition over on Nebula, our streaming service, to look at how synthetic lifeforms might regard us. If you didn't know, Nebula is our streaming service full of awesome content from creators focused on informative but fun content. It's designed to give creators more freedom than any other platform, and all of our episodes of this show appear early and ad-free on Nebula, and many have extended editions too like today's, as well as some Nebula exclusives like our Coexistence with Alien series. And thanks to all of our Nebula subscribers since it lets me do extended editions, which are nice ways to do addendums on videos I usually write a few months before the air and often have additional thoughts on during final production. Now you can subscribe to Nebula all by itself, but we've also partnered up with CuriosityStream, the home of thousands of great educational videos like Dr. Jack and the Secrets of the Brain. To offer Nebula for free as a bonus if you sign up for CuriosityStream using the link in our episode description. 
That lets you see the amazing content on CuriosityStream and Nebula for less than $15 a year, just use the link in the episode's description. So today may have been Sci-Fi Sunday, but we'll keep to the theme, as this Thursday we return to our Alien Civilization series to contemplate the concept of clandestine extraterrestrial operations and covert aliens. After that, we'll jump to the distant future and look at a time when the Moon has become an enormous megacity, then we'll finish out March with our livestream Q&A, followed by a look at programmable and smart matter. Now if you want alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel and hit the notifications bell, and if you enjoyed this episode, please hit the like button and share it with others, and leave a comment below. You can also join the conversation on any of our social media forums, find our audio-only versions of the show, or donate to support future episodes, and all those options and more are listed in the links in the episode description. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week!